Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of this episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. And today I'm joined by Lawrence Vane. She is the owner and president of MomCore Denver. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, what we had in the little bit of the pre-podcast discussion conversation is that we're going to try to focus our chat today on the recruitment process and on the company's internal processes when they realize that they would like to open themselves up to um, new hiring practices, but also new forms of work in terms of flexibility and remote work and alternative work forms. So Lauren, before we get to that, would you mind taking us through a little bit your journey? I know you in your role of, of MomCore Denver, but uh, you're also a columnist for the Denver Post. You have Working It Out, which is a monthly column, and you're also an experienced uh, entrepreneur. So take us through a little bit. How did you end up founding MomCore Denver? Sure. So I started my career actually in financial services on Wall Street in New York City. And um uh, then went back to business school to get my MBA in marketing and then pursued a career in marketing and public relations. And I kind of ended that corporate career running a PR agency in New York City. And my husband was still working on Wall Street and we lived in Connecticut. So that means that it was about an hour and a half commute in each way to and from work for both of us. And um when we started having a family, that became extremely difficult to manage. So that's really when I started my journey as an entrepreneur, um, first as a consultant um, with my own shingle, if you will. Um, and then I started an internet company called Kid Esport, and that was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I ended up having my office in a barn in my backyard and employing a number of senior level females who also lived out in Connecticut and no longer wanted to do that long commute into New York City. Um, but it had very robust careers and had, you know, um, great educations and wanted to contribute into the workforce and couldn't find a way to, to participate. So by 
um, having my entire senior staff composed of women working flexibly, that was kind of my first um, indoctrination into this idea of there being a huge untapped pool of talent out there that companies can take advantage of, and it's a win-win for everybody. If companies are willing to think a little differently and be a little less stringent on uh, what they require in terms of days in the office or hours of in the day in the office, um, they can really access a whole new pool of talent. And that was kind of, that idea always stuck with me um, and ultimately led me to find MomCorps Denver. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. And, and one uh, thing particularly strikes me is uh, and that is something we hear over and over. Um, women, uh, when they uh, become moms or parents, they quite often feel that the best way for them to reconcile their work and family and caring responsibilities and yet still do meaningful contribution at work is to become freelance. Is this is this something that you also see over and over, that, that that's how they yes. find the, the possibilities to, to combine work and life? I think that is a big trend in the U.S., yes, and not just with women, but with men men as well. And it's not just with parents anymore. Actually, we've just renamed our company from MomCore to Core Team because the idea of this being a mother issue or even a female issue is is archaic now. It's a, it is a all-people issue, all-generation issue. Um, I live in Colorado, which is a very lifestyle-centric kind of culture, and so I think we see it um, exacerbated here because lifestyle is one of the main reasons people move to Colorado, and mm. so they want to uh, find a way to blend work and life, and a lot of times that is by being a freelancer. This uh, and, and also in the pre-podcast chat we had, we, we discussed a little bit the differences between Europe and the US and, and that's also a trend, something we see here in Europe. For example, just in the Czech Republic uh, two years ago, during the course of one year, about 3,000 men have taken out their freelance card, so became self-employed and 10,000 women. So we, we also definitely see this trend in Europe. And now coming to um, your work, at, at core team and also some of the issues we want to discuss. Um, how do you see companies awaken to the, to the idea that there can be a different way of working for their staff and, and, and go on this journey? Because we, we always see, you know, startups being founded on some of these principles and then perhaps companies that are have, are experiencing some really rough patches, they see they need yeah. to do something about it. But I'm always very curious about somehow the companies in the middle that are doing quite okay, chugging along. What makes them want to change the way people work? Well, I think it's um, access to talent and, you know, or lack of access to talent and um, how forward thinking they are. So they everywhere in the press these days is the fact that um, millennials are quickly making up two thirds of the two thirds or three quarters of the workforce in a few years. And companies, it's it is actually, especially in Colorado, 
um, unemployment is very, very low. Mm. And so companies are having to adapt or else they can't attract the good people. So that's, so that's definitely one thing It's just, you know, they have to, in order to attract the people and stay competitive. Um, and then it's, you know, just how forward thinking they are. You know, some of the bigger companies obviously sometimes move a little more slowly in this regard. Um, the startups or the high growth companies, the smaller companies can afford to be a little bit more forward thinking and flexible in how they look at things. Um, you know, Fortune 500 companies, I think, are, are it's like trying to move a mountain. Yes, and 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 I just that takes us uh, nicely to to my next question, and that's about the barriers. What are you experiencing? Are some of the barriers, obstacles of of companies to to changing their mindsets? I think there's a fear of the unknown. Um, is probably a big thing. I mean, in this country, the changing healthcare policies is what has made freelancing a lot more tenable for people because we have access to healthcare now, whether we are aligned with a company or not. You know, as you know, that's not always been the case here in America. Mm -hmm. So um, so that has broken down as a barrier for, for people. For companies, I think it's just trying to navigate their way through. What does this mean? How do we, you know, is out of sight, out of mind a problem? How do we keep control over people's work product and their commitment if they're not in their seats. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's those kinds of things that are the biggest hesitations. Of course, there's also a lot of differences between the sectors because it, it of course, if you're, sure. if you're a healthcare worker or, or work in some of the sectors where there needs to be a lot of face time, it's of course very difficult to offer these options. And and you come from Wall Street, which is also very strict uh, norms of, of the financial um, services industry, of course, very male dominated. But I read um, one of your recent columns about a law firm and legal practices, where you say yes. that they're already and that's that's great news, because that's used to be one of those sectors with legendary overwork and pressures. Yes, and probably still largely is. Um, that's why I haven't penetrated uh, the legal industry as much as I'd like to. But what we are seeing is companies that are starting, practices that are starting with um, part, you know, managing partners who want to do things differently because they didn't like the way that the big traditional law firms operated. And so those firms do get it and they do understand that it doesn't have to be FaceTime and they do understand that there's a different um, uh, financial reward model than the traditional, you know, work 3,000 or 3,500 hours a year and, and the only way you get bonuses is if you go above that kind of thing. So in your practice, have there been some other surprises where you worked with companies that you wouldn't have thought would be open to this? Oh, you know, <laughs> well, the law firm is a big one. I would say I just recently had a um, an association uh, for uh, water industry, which is a typically associations are very, very... Um, 
buttoned up. They pay, you know, they they exist from the dues of the member organizations, and um, they tend to be very, very conservative, kind of by the book types of organizations. And they were looking for someone to head up a new initiative on uh, wastewater revitalization or something like that. And they were considering a part-timer. So yeah, I thought that was that was very exciting and, mm. and interesting. And we helped them find somebody. Mm, that's great. Now, if we can maybe shift a little to the actual hiring process, in your experience, um, how uncomfortable is this conversation around flexibility? Um, I always imagine that, you know, those pressures of, of career and norms of wanting to seem committed and motivated seem to be counterproductive in, in, the, in the early starts of, you know, okay, I, I want to give this company my own, you know, my all, especially if, if you know, you have been searching for a while now, you know, especially those candidates, I imagine that, that have, you know, had a couple of, of, of uh, rejections as well. So how does this flexibility conversation take place and how do you facilitate that? Well, that's a very good question. And there's quite a, f a few different answers. But typically, because of the name of my company being, you know, just up until recently being Moncore, the the going in assumption for many of my clients is that they have come to me because they are open to something a little bit different. That is that, however, is, mm -hmm. I mean, the reason we changed the name is because it's not just, as I said, it's not just a mom issue anymore. So typically when a company contacts me and they need, they need help, uh, it's part of my initial conversation with them. What are the expectations around the, um, the schedule? Is there flexibility to change the hours to make them earlier or later? Um, is there flexibility to work at home at all? You know, so I kind of get a sense for what that is so that we know right up front and can tell candidates, this is the culture of the company. This is kind of what the expectation would be. So that's, that's part of it. The other thing is a lot of times I talk to companies about this concept of if you hire, if you take the same amount of dollars and instead of hiring somebody 100%, hire somebody for 80% or 75% or 60%, get a higher level person, a more senior person who can contribute more quickly and perhaps in greater depth than a more junior person at only working, you know, part of the time. And so that's a whole different changing of mindset. That's a little bit harder. Um, and sometimes what we'll do in those cases is suggest that they start off as a started off mm -hmm. as a contract situation. So it's not a it's not a commitment on either side. It's kind of a try before you buy for both the candidate and the company. Mm -hmm. That's great. And then from the candidate side, do they come with to you already with very detailed requests or, 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 or needs for, for their time? Or is this also something that you help them with to, to educate them about the rights or possibilities of what could be possible? Yes, it's, you know, I would say most people come 
to me specifically because they are hoping for, to find more work-life balance or integration. Um, but everybody has mm -hmm. their own consideration set. Some people, you know, and we define flexibility in terms of time, duration, and place. So it doesn't always mean it's a part-time job. It could mean that it mean that it's uh, one day a week at home. It could mean no travel, full-time, no travel. It could mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, full-time, but eight months a year. Or There's so many different ways, and everybody defines flexibility in their own um, in their own way. So it is always, always, always part of my initial conversation with either candidates or clients. You know, what is your goal? So if you have the different candidates, um, is there, do you perceive a difference in the legitimacy of, of their claim for time if, you know, one would be parent and the other one would just be a marathon runner, for example. Does these stigmas or, or, or prejudices still exist of, of why, you know, why would you want to take time to be a mountain climber? You know, somehow I feel that we, we've become warm to the idea of, of, of parenting being a legitimate uh, claim for your time. But how, how is that with others who, as you said, more and more men and, and more and more non-parents would would ask for this flexibility. How is that perceived? I don't perceive it any differently because it's part of the upfront conversation. So I think it's so much is a matter of understanding um, intent and objectives and um, not trying to cover up what that is on either side. Um, companies don't, I've never been asked why does this person want to work part-time? Um, so it's, you know, it's not really uh, mm -hmm. legal to talk about whether you have um, children or not, you know, if it's, if it's not brought up. So um, that's, not any, that's not ever part of the conversation. Okay. And maybe just another question, um, because you yourself have um, reinvented yourself a couple of times Yes, I have. In your career. And, and that's also something that we see more and more. Um, I don't even know how to put this uh, untraditional or, or, you know, not, of, not these textbooks uh, careers. People uh, right. discover their passions along the way and they may change from the not-for-profit to profit or the other way around. Yeah. How is that then perceived by, by, by companies when they... Because I, I read a very interesting article on LinkedIn recently about how some of the search um, programs or softwares are, are not delivering anymore because, you know, they're looking for the specific um, career pathways and, you know, you had your internship here and then you progressed to junior manager and then line manager and then senior manager. And, right. and that's no longer the case. And, and how are companies dealing with, with having these maybe surprising CVs? Um, well, I think that being in the recruiting business and being a, more of a boutique recruiter, uh, to me, that is why not only it's important to not rely on those automatic programs to generate your resumes for you, um, because you're right. I mean, they're, they're doing, they're, they work off of keyword search and certain progressions. And 
when you treat recruiting like a um, kind of a, a churn and burn kind of a business, then you're not you're gonna miss a lot of the of the gems uh, that are out there. So I think um, that is why it's one of the things that makes it worthwhile to spend the money on an outside recruiter because that is what they can do, especially more of a boutique shop. That's, they, they tend to have that more high-touch kind of approach and don't rely on those um, automated uh, robots to just generate the resumes. And I think um, I actually uh, saw one of your um, presentations or keynote uh, speeches in a conference. You were talking about detours. Yes, I was going to say that. So that's, yes, I have that presentation that I've given several times. And I when I talk to candidates, because you're right, there are so many people who are, um, who have a non-traditional, you know, what the, what the old definition of traditional would be. That's not what they have. And I encourage people to think about their detours as not, it's not taking them away from their path and it's not a slower way to get to their path, but it actually can be a whole new, a whole new journey that, that it takes you to a whole new place. Um, and that's certainly what has happened with me personally. And I see it all the time mm. with people. And I think with companies, the, the trick is to just understand how to market yourself and how to position those detours or those different paths and weave the story. Yeah. I, yeah, I just wanted to also say storytelling. And, and I think some of the most um, interesting people to work with and some of the most interesting companies to work at or work with are those who have such a rich story to tell, who have, as you say, taken those detours. They have at least tried things, you know, and, and I think innovation is, is, is something rather precious of people who would take risks and be more entrepreneurial and and I, and I just also think that this somehow for me is also very closely linked to to this thriving for a better work-life integration because you want to try you, you're not afraid to to claim your time to try new things and that can be um, to spend time with your family or that can be to learn something new and 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 i find that there is this new awakening and maybe it's partly driven by the millennials that is is driving towards this much richer but also more complex way of working and looking at life right so before we go to our last question which we always ask the last the same last question here on the work life podcast um Would you just like to remind listeners, Lauren, where they can reach you, how they can get in touch with you? Sure. So the website is, um, since we have two names now, you can get there <laughs> either by um, momcore, which is M-O-M-C-O-R-P-S dot com um, and backslash Denver or core team, which is C-O-R-P-S-T-E-A-M dot com backslash Denver. And my email is lsven, L-S-V-E-E-N, at momcore or coreteam.com. Thank you. We will also put these into the show notes so people will know also how to find you. And just coming now to the last question, if, Lauren, you could give one advice to a CEO to 
start on the path to better work-life integration for his or her employees, what would be the first thing or for you the most important thing they would need to do? I like to tell CEOs that they really need to understand from their people what it is they're looking for in terms of flexibility and work-life integration. I talked about time, duration, and place. So rather than a company deciding, okay, we are going to offer Fridays at home or early start or you know whatever it is, talk to the com- talk to the employees about what would be meaningful for them because if they, if it. If it is meaningful for them, then they will actually take advantage of it and they'll feel like they had a part of it. And that's the second part is the taking advantage. The CEO has to model the behavior that he's encouraging his employees to take. So if he's encouraging his employees to have work-life balance and to take Fridays off or whatever it is, he needs to do that. He or she needs to do that as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Lauren. It has been a really interesting discussion and I'm sure the listeners will also gain a lot of insight and and knowledge from it. So thank you so much for sharing your experience. Thank you for contacting me.